Welcome to the Kitchen Table. I am Justin White. I am your host today. Josh Winter is absent, so I am the lone amateur podcast for this episode. Oh. We are continuing with our self-help series. Uh, we have two more guests, Juliet and Pam Draper, mm-hmm. formerly known as Pam Jones, as mm-hmm. I learned before. Also known as Her Majesty. Uh, also known <laughs> as Her Majesty. Her Majesty the Queen. So that's how probably most people know you. Yeah, it's Her I Majesty. Think so. yeah. But as we were talking before we went on camera, mm-hmm. like it's been 25 years. Like yeah. we met each other at Station One in mm-hmm. 98-ish. Yeah. 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 You were so a baby. I was. I still feel like I'm a baby. And you still look like a baby. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll make sure my wife listens to this podcast. Definitely. So we're here for the self-help series. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked with a few people now, uh, all with different types of addiction, different levels of addiction. Mm-hmm. And we know you have a story. You both have a story with, with uh, that as well. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to accomplish with this is uh, let people know, not necessarily normalize it, but let people know that there are other people that share their struggles. So if they're having these struggles, uh, find some help. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're having these struggles, it's affecting your life, it's affecting your relationships. There are people there and there's people here, there's people um, within our organization and we have the resources to help you, help you through that. And so all, all the stories we've heard have been you know, about addiction and, and some lows, but also coming out on top and, mm-hmm. and being um, very healthy and very um, well-adjusted in life now. And so mm-hmm. there, is a, there is a way out, um, and we want to give people courage and hope and, and, and hope that helps them mm-hmm. moving forward. Mm-hmm. But how we start every show is I ask you about your journey. So tell us your story a little bit, and let's start with Pam, and then mm-hmm. we'll go over to Juliet, and then okay. we'll, we'll get into the other stuff. Sounds good. I was born in Ithaca, New York, um, of Jamaican parents, so they were first-generation immigrants. Um, at the age of 18 months old, I was sent back to Jamaica to be raised with my five siblings, with five siblings. Um <clears throat> The reason for that for my parents actually was because of the um, intolerance that they experienced in the United States. They were in upstate New York and they didn't want their children to live in that. So we went back to um, be raised in Jamaica while my dad and my mom built their church their Pentecostal church. Um, I have no memory of ever being in the United States. So at the age of 12, we came back, but I don't remember ever being here to start with. So I actually identify as a Jamaican. (laughs) And the reason I do that is because the Jamaican experience and the African American experience is very different in terms of the legacy that your parents pass on to you. It's mm-hmm. just a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also identify as black, so mm-hmm. Jamaican and black. 
Um, <clears throat> excuse me. After coming back to the United States, I came with my brother. Um, we settled in Syracuse, New York with my other siblings. And I have older siblings. Let's see. I have four older siblings and two younger siblings. Um, I stayed there. I went to junior high school. I went to high school, private high school actually. Went to college in Columbia, Missouri. Studied um, philosophy and fashion design. And um, went from there to Harvard Divinity School um, on a scholarship for my PhD. But I dropped out like Bill Gates. <laughs> and Zuckerberg. <laughs> but I don't know where my billions of dollars are. Oh, they, they left them there. Damn yeah, it, They didn't where, hand that out when you dropped money, that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, in 1975, I met um, my husband, Tom, and he's the father of my child. We were together until 1987. And he's still he's still here. We're like great friends. Mm -hmm. Our family unit is Juliet Chantel, Mike's husband Tom, and me. Mm -hmm. That's our and, and unique Chantel's and then Chantel's boyfriend mm -hmm. Didi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Mike's husband Tom had been previously married, mm -hmm. and he had two two kids, twins. And they were living here with their mother. Mm -hmm. And so when I decided to leave Harvard, I jumped into his pickup truck, put all my belongings in the back. <laughs> mm -hmm. He wore a cowboy hat and was kind of a hippie, so I call myself a bippy, <laughs> and um, moved to Manitou. We stayed there for a little while. He really wanted to be in the Northeast except we left and got to Bend, Oregon. And from that point on, there was absolutely no sunshine. And <laughs> so we stopped in, in, in uh, Oregon, the Corvallis, Oregon. Mm -hmm. We went up to Seattle and I'm just like, I am not leaving Syracuse, New York to come to a place where the sun does not shine. Mm -hmm. And so we started driving all the way back, Idaho, Montana, um, all the way to Colorado, and I'm just like, you know, my heart's in Manitou, so we came back here, and I've been here ever since. I met Juliet in, in 1992 when the Amendment 2 drama, drama was going on. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know what that is, um, it's when some of our city leaders and business people, whose name I, names I won't mention, um, decided that they wanted to legally take away the rights of... You don't have to use the alphabet. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're good. <laughs> of gay people. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> of any kind. Yeah. I guess these days they call it non-binary. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I got involved in that political movement with, with some other people. And 
one night this guy from from California was holding a like a rally kind yeah of? kind of a rally but mm-hmm. it was at the Unitarian Church mm-hmm. and um, so I was there lonely black person in the room of 300 people and I looked around and I saw this a black man <laughs> at the door. <laughs> and I was beside myself with excitement. <laughs> so, because I thought, now I'm going to have someone else fighting the fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I yeah. turned around and I waved like crazy. Mm-hmm. And he waved back to me. Um, I was with my girlfriend at the time. And she's like, I think it's a I think that's a girl. <laughs> Fact. I'm like, no. So we like had this entire conversation about it. Um, came out, Juliet completely introduced herself. I gave her my card. I was self-employed in a in a um, body care products business and also a commercial landlord at the time. I gave her my card, and the next day. She showed up in my store. By then, we figured out that she was a she. (laughs) And um, talked for about five hours. Mm -hmm. And um, that was just the beginning, the beginning of a nice friendship. Mm -hmm. I was involved. She was involved. And, you know, we established that she loved ribs and she loved to dance. And those are my two favorite things. And... That was that. Boom, Sherlock Lock. I find that story hard to believe because <laughs> Juliet does not like to talk. No, I'm just a She's delicate. pretty shy. <laughs> She's a shy little flower. Yeah. Delicate, friendly flower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Juliet, talk well, to us about the, the streets of Cleveland. Cleve, the land of Cleves. Well, born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, my sister and I are both adopted, um, which is kind of integral to my whole story, I think. Some people say. Um we, my my parents, and let me also preface by saying, I am bourgeois, I am bougie. Mm-hmm. I come from a household that had a library and encyclopedias, and we read all the time. And my parents spent a lot of energy on you know focusing on us having experiences, ballet lessons, guitar lessons, swimming lessons. Um, we, the expectations were we could not speak Ebonics in our home. Um, and so there's kind of an expectation of behavior in that environment. <clears throat> so that I think is forgotten sometimes. Um, for those of you who knows who the Cosbys are, we were the Cosbys one step down. So mm-hmm. Claire and, and Cliff, you know, physician and lawyer, My parents were managers, you know, and my dad was the GM of the post office in Cleveland, Ohio. And my mom started out as a nurse, but then she became a hospital administrator. So two kids, mom and dad, two dogs, two cars, you know, and we went to church every Sunday. We sang in the choir. We did all that sort of good stuff. And... (laughs) It's just really interesting for me because Her Majesty 
also, now she's a step above me. If we're going to talk about class, let's talk about class because people don't talk about class all the time, you know. Yeah. And she is, she's a blue blood. So her family and her legacy in Jamaica, you know, they had a car in the 1950s. Nobody had a car in Jamaica in the 1950s unless you were about it. <clears throat> and so I married up. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry for you. But good, good for you. <laughs> so Pam, in her upbringing, they she they had a houseman, they had uh, a nanny, she had they had a cook, you know, cook maid, maids. You know, I on the other hand, my sister and I learned to cook and clean and do all those things because that's what you do as responsible people in America. Mm-hmm. Um, Went to the Cleveland Public High Schools. Um, I, being who I am, you know, decided to leave Cleveland Public High Schools because I was not having enough adventure and fun and excitement. And I come to find out that I am, <laughs> that that's kind of a condition. It's called ADHD. And <laughs> I was, you know, and one of those incorrigible kids. And I was always in trouble. And my parents knew all my teachers by first name from kindergarten on. And, you know, <clears throat> as a result of that, I, I went out and about seeking adventure. Um, during my high school years, I got to play some sports and stuff, and I was always involved in performance art. So we sang in the choir, and we had a local theater, the uh, Caramu Theater in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was really active in that, doing plays and musicals and singing and dancing and doing all that sort of stuff. And I love that that creative part of myself and ended up going to a performing arts high school my final year of high school and um, you know we, we did big main stage plays and it was a thrill a minute and you know but by then I was already steeped in my whole addiction process and the first time I ever went to rehab I was 17 my parents kidnapped me from school and took me to the rehab hospital and I was there over Christmas <laughs> and it was a really interesting scenario um but i was not i didn't i got exposure to the other side of the coin after i dropped out of high school so i dropped out of high school i i got my first girlfriend and all hell broke loose because you know my parents were devout you know church members and they could not get down with the gay thing and they were like if my mom specifically told me if you cannot live by our rules you must go and I was like okay so I left (laughs) you know and moved in with my girlfriend and her family was from the you know from the projects from the ghetto and they were ghetto fabulous and I learned how to do all these ghetto fabulous things from them and got into all sorts of scrapes and 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 situations Um, I never got arrested, I never went to jail, but the only reasons that I can give for that is luck and athletic ability. And, you know, I could jump fences and climb things and and evade the police and do all those sorts of things, and I didn't realize that that meant that I had athletic ability. I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to run because they can't catch me. You know, I'm going to jump this fence because then I can hide over here. And that whole physical thing kind of came 
full circle once I got here to Colorado, you know, and once I joined the army and I learned how to use my physical ability in a different way. <clears throat> I joined the army because I'd always wanted to join the army. I can remember watching television with my dad and, you know, much like today with all the public safety shows, you know, back then it was Beretta and Emergency and the Rookies and um, I remember telling my dad, you know, Daddy, I was probably seven, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to be a fireman uh, and a policeman uh, and a soldier. And to his credit, I got to give my dad all the credit in the world for me being where I am today, quite frankly, um, because his response was, and this is his voice, a la James Earl Jones, you can do anything you want to do. And so it never dawned on me that I could not be a police officer, that I could not be a firefighter, that I could not be a soldier, because my daddy said I could do anything I want to do. And so um, <clears throat> during all my uh, shenanigans, you know, after dropping out of high school, I still had that kind of thing in the back of my mind where this life kind of is rough and it sucks and I'm always running and boy, I really want to do something different, you know, and so with Juliet, I know we've talked over the years, mm -hmm. and you've said to me the Army saved your life. Absolutely. And, I, and, and having not delved deeper into that conversation, mm -hmm. and just hearing that, I assumed, well, you joined the Army, so that puts you on the straight and narrow. So it was actually the Army, while you were in the Army, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. did that. They, well, and you know, <clears throat> I tell you, the... the you, we, we all live by rules. And the Army, the military has some pretty specific rules. And if I follow those rules as they are laid out, generally I can move forward and, and progress either in my career or whatever I'm working on. And that was the thing that I needed, you know, in order to not jump off a cliff somewhere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and the, the thing about it, it's like having a personal trainer. A personal trainer, sh a good personal trainer should teach you how to figure it out for yourself. So um, if I want to lose weight or I want to get bigger or I want to get stronger and I hire a personal trainer, after about a year, I shouldn't need them anymore. I should have figured out, you know, what foods work for me, what exercises work for me, what um, gym do I need to go to? Do I need to go to a CrossFit gym or do I need to go to Crunch? You know, and I should, my, my personal trainer should teach me these things as we go along during this relationship so that I can manage on my own with this foundation. <clears throat> and that's kind of where, you know, Uncle Sugar comes in. Un Uncle Sugar is the best personal trainer on the planet. You know, you walk in the door, if you know nothing, they'll teach you how to fold your underwear, what time to eat, how often to exercise. I mean, all of that. And once that foundation is set, then I can build on top of that. So Uncle Sugar pro provided me with that. And, you know, I get to use it every now and then in my current life, you know, and and I'm, I'm grateful, dude. I'm terribly grateful. Why didn't they just kick you out? Um, well, that's a good question. I think that I had some advocacy from my first son from, at the time, it was Vern Witham, was the chief of the fire department, yep. and Bobby McKinnon, who was a, a deputy. And, you know, I got along with those old boys from jump, you know, and, and please knew I was the only soul sister on Fort Carson Fire Department, you know, and they were not ready for me when I got there, you know, but, 
me being who I am, you know, I've never met a stranger. So I'm shaking hands and, and learning stuff about cats. And, you know, I like to shoot and they shoot. I like to, you know, ride motorcycles and, and they ride motorcycles. And so I had developed a really good relationship with the chief of the department, my deputy chief, um, my first sergeant. I had developed a great relationship with him, developed a great relationship with uh, Sergeant Major. And, you know, that stuff is important because, you know, when, when push comes to shove, you need advocates in your corner. You just do. And nobody can do any of this by themselves. And that is, that's the whole point of that is that once those relationships were developed, then, you know, those old boys knew that, you know, I had some potential to do good things and I just needed to get moving in a direction, you know, and they were able to facilitate that. So, and I am grateful to this day. What was it about, because I find it interesting, you say the Army is rules-based, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, it didn't seem like you liked the rules. I didn't. Child, you know, and I don't know if that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's the innocence of youth. Could be. Lack of maturity and experience. Absolutely. And, you know, you'd been raised well enough and mm-hmm. you were smart enough to go, mm-hmm. okay, this is This is, this it. is the like, deal. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, a path that you're enjoying. You've kind of got the hook now because mm-hmm. you've got you know, the military life mm-hmm. and you've got the, you've got the, uh, you know, being in the gym and mm-hmm. weightlifting. And mm-hmm. so now you have a sense of purpose, you have a sense of why. And so mm-hmm. now it's like all came together for yep. you. And that's, and that's legit dude. And, and because there, you know, sometimes we think of rules as somebody trying to keep us back or somebody, you know, but that's, 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 that's inaccurate. I think that, you know, rules are developed to keep the organization moving in a direction. And if I cannot get down with those rules, then I'm impeding progress, you know, and that's true for my life as well. And you're right. In youth, you think, I thought I knew a whole lot of stuff. I thought I had the answers to every stinking thing on the planet. And once I figured out that I knew very, very little, you know, and I'm like, oh, well, hmm, this situation is working real good over here with these rules. So let me just roll over there with that, you know. And, and as they say in the, in, the, in the 12-step rooms, take what you need and leave the rest. So there were rules that I needed, you know, like get up at a certain time, go eat at a certain time, go to the gym at a certain time, you know. And there are other rules that I didn't need so much, you know. And so I learned to take what I needed and leave the rest Mm -hmm. some people get that confused some people think it's take what you want it's not what i want Mm -hmm. what i need and as a young person it's really hard to differentiate that that's the fact because you don't know what you need a lot of times i did not know what was best for me in any scenario however with those these rules over here okay if i just do this first one if i just show up on time to this place if i just show up to the gym at you know six o'clock nobody's there i can get right on the step mill i can get right in my workout and be to work on time how many yeah. years did you do in there um i was did eight total i did uh, six active and two inactive and all inactive means is that you go to your regular job and they can call you if they want to yeah. so i was on Fort carson fire for six years and had a great time and those old boys down there were just awesome and i learned a lot and you know when i left there was tears you know and mm-hmm. and they were really really uh, helpful for Her Majesty and I. We bought our first house while I was still at Fort Carson, mm-hmm. and you know somebody had a you know a saw or a jig or what you gals need is this here right here. I got one of those in my garage. I'm gonna go on <laughs> and you know they was loaning us tools and telling us stuff, and they were just awesome. So 
you know, I, it's the legacy began. Is this mid eighties we're talking uh, about? Probably late eighties, early nineties. So I came in, I got here to Colorado in, let's see, I went in, I went in the army in August of 90. So that means I got here in January 91. So different stories about addiction, but very similar and intertwining. Um, she, again, she's she's way up here. Okay, I will start. Okay, so despite despite the lap of luxury that I was raised in, there was also um, a lot of abuse, mm-hmm. a lot of dysfunction. So I was living with my great uncle who was a sexual abuser. Mm -hmm. He was a pedophile. Mm -hmm. And um, truth be told, I I don't have any memory. I have like three memories of my childhood until I was 12 years old. And find out, like when I was 60, like 50 years later, that I have PTSD related to things I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite that, once we got to the United States, we had access because I had older siblings. And one of them is my sister Grace, who who's an entertainer. And she and my eldest brother Christian had access to drugs and alcohol. <laughs> so there are there are um, stories out there about pastor's kids. I don't know if anyone has ever heard any of those stories, mm-hmm. is that we can really be rebellious <laughs> because the reins are just so tight. And so um, <clears throat> my sister introduced me to um, alcohol when I was 12 and that actually is not uncommon. Most people do get introduced to drugs actually by a best friend or a family member. Um, and so I started drinking whenever I could, which wasn't really that, I didn't think it was really that much. And at the time I didn't think about the fact that I was 12. So there's no amount that is actually good enough at that point. By the time I was maybe 14 or 15, she introduced me to um, marijuana. You know, and so we just did like a lot of sneaking around. Um, And I would say that my doing drugs or alcohol on a daily basis wasn't until I went to college at 18. And then I started smoking weed, um, taking black beauties, which were like the speed of the t- at the time, procrastinating on my work, and then staying up for like two days getting the work done <laughs> with speed, and then using like the marijuana and the alcohol to come down. So since I started doing that, then on the weekend, in order to really party and have fun, (laughs) I had to do like 10 times more than you do during the week, you know, or else it's, or else it's not a weekend. So that was my, that was my introduction. And I did not consider myself 
addicted because I never tried to, to stop until way later in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like you say, and I was telling this story the other day to somebody, I can't remember who it was, but my first drink of alcohol, because my parents did not drink. We did not have alcohol in our house, and it was really strange to me to say go over a friend's house and they'd have like beer in the fridge, and I was like, dude, you guys have beer in the fridge, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> yeah. I had never seen that before. My Not my grandparents, not my aunts and uncles, we just did not have alcohol in the house. Um, but I was walking home from school in the winter time. I just got off the bus, walking from the bus stop to my house, and there was a a pint, or half a pint of, I don't know if you guys know about this, Wild Irish Rose, the street wine. Mm-hmm. Not quite MD 2020, you know, but <laughs> there was a half a bottle of it in a snowbank. So it was cold, Justin, it was cold, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right? Yeah. You gotta have it to the right temperature, <laughs> yeah, all right? Bro, and I was like, whoa, dude, that's that stuff, oh, bro. <laughs> and so me being the insane person that I was, I was like, I wanna check that out. So me, be, you know, doom, 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 doom. And within minutes, you know, I was just like, oh, I had reached Eureka, you know, and I was drunk and stumbling down the street. And I don't know if you know this, but, you know, when you're a young person and you drink alcohol, the stuff happens real quick. I mean, the whole the whole um, moving from your stomach into your blood is chop chop and it begins in your mouth you know digestion Mm -hmm. begins in the mouth paramedics paramedics um so you start absorbing that alcohol right away and by the time i got to my house i was totally drunk and just giggly and giddy and stupid and you know went up to my room i think and passed out and you know by the time dinner time i was you know i came to and didn't I had no clue what had happened. I don't know what I did or anything like that. My parents didn't say anything, um, but I was, I had found it. That was the, I remember that moment like it was yesterday. And from that point on, it was like I was constantly seeking more and the oblivion and the no, not a care in the world except this, this feeling of intoxication. And so by the time you know I get into my late teens, I'm cutting school, I'm not going to class, I'm bugging out, and you know me being the weirdo that I am, I would bug out to the library and you know hang out in Cleveland downtown public library and read and read and read and read and smoke weed and you know and not be in school, and, you know, and of course now I'm truant and I got suspensions and all this other kind of drama. So I get to performing arts school and still cutting class, but I always made my performance classes. I made the acting class, I made the dancing class, I made the vocal class, but math, (laughs) you know, I didn't want nothing to do with the academics. And so um, my parents found some some kind of speed, I wanna say pink hearts or something like that. And these, for those of you youngsters, they used to call things really cool names back in the day, like Black Beauties and Pink Hearts. <laughs> Yellow moons, orange stars, and green clovers. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, flashback. But um, my parents found some drugs in my, in my room. They came to school, they kidnapped me and took me to treatment. And, you know, we could afford treatment. We had health insurance. They, you know, it was like there was, I had an experience that a lot of people or many people don't have. 
you know so if you if my parents had not been who they are I would have just gotten kicked out of school there would have been drama I could have gotten pregnant or whatever the hell else you know but we went the very responsible middle-class American route and I was the only black kid in the rehab and all the other kids there were from you know upper echelon homes and it was really interesting and I learned a lot and but you know that was the beginning and um, it uh, it was formative because even after being sober for a while as a young person, you know, <clears throat> I thought, well, I got my whole life ahead of me. I don't really need to jump and get down with this sober thing right now, blah, blah, blah. And so, of course, I went back out, and that's what they call it in the 12-step in the scene is, you know, when you go back out and um, raise some more sand and got in some more trouble and you know, things just kind of catapulted from there. And you hear people say in, in the recovery community that wherever you stop, that is where you will start the next time. So you don't go back to the beginning where you had never done drugs and alcohol. You go back to where you were when you stopped the last time. So all the, the mayhem and drama and, you know, it begins there and continues to get worse progressively. So, you know, now you end up, I ended up homeless and it was just, so I have a soft spot for my urban backpackers here in mm -hmm. town, you know, um, being in the soup lines and walking to the, the shelters and all this kind of drama. And because they sent you to rehab, enough of it stuck right. that you knew that that was something that could lift you up. Yep. And so at at that point, you still had that. Right, the foundation was formed, yeah. absolutely. And you were able to get into- A halfway into like house, a shelter, halfway house yep, yep, yep. Because they formed that foundation. Absolutely, absolutely. That's fact, that's fact. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you use in the Army? Um, I drank in the Army, and mm -hmm. the Army was really, <laughs> they got rules, okay? I don't know mm -hmm. if y'all know this, but Uncle Sugar got rules. And when you break them, you get jammed up. And I got into, uh, I was, <laughs> quick story, in a basketball tournament, I had been drinking all day because I was off. And we made it into this basketball tournament and uh, some of the other girls came and got me, Draper, Draper, we gotta get up, we gotta go, we got this basketball tournament we're in. So I'm like, hey, oh, huh? <laughs> so I jump up and, you know, uh, take a couple notos, you know, because I had been sleeping. And we go to the basketball tournament, and we do all right, and then we lose, and somebody was making commentary, and so I kicked the door. And the door came crashing down, and of course all the company commanders, and the first sergeant, and anybody who was anybody in my food chain was there. And so at that point, Uncle Sugar in, uh, got involved, and I ended up going to another type of rehab. So, and I ended up with what I call an Article 45. So that's an Article 15 times three. <laughs> I got jammed <laughs> up three times. And so I couldn't go anywhere except my work, the mess hall, and initially it was church. And I told my first son, I'm like, first son, I don't, do, I don't do Jesus, I do the gym. And he was like, all right, Draper, you can go to the gym, you can go to mess hall, you can go to work. Cool. And so now I have, I started moving in that athletic direction and started you know powerlifting and bodybuilding and really you know jumping knee deep into the whole fitness part of my life and which was great for me you know um 
But, you know, it, it's, it's, and it kind of helped me, you know, kind of guided me in a direction because that's one of the biggest things for us in the fire service, as we know, is the whole physical element. And, fellas, I know this is the truth. And one of the main concerns of men in the fire service is that can this girl drag my butt out of this situation? And y'all know this girl can. And so, that was the point is to make sure that I could at any time whoever I was with I could you know drag the guy out or die trying and so that became my focus and back then is when the firefighter combat challenge came into being you know so mm -hmm. the other thing that I think is interesting I'm kind of easing over into some of the professional stuff mm -hmm. to me that was Juliet's second intervention yeah Mm -hmm. So her parents, because because people tend to need more than one intervention. Mm -hmm. So her parents did the first. Mm -hmm. Uncle Sam did the second mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. putting her on on house house, house arrest, arrest. <laughs> <laughs> special <laughs> duties. Yeah, which is like if you do this, you are going to get kicked out. Mm -hmm. And so she had that major confidence. That mm -hmm. was her. That was another intervention. Absolutely. Absolutely. That kind of moved you. And didn't they order you to go to AA? Yep. Ordered me to meetings. And they, you know, that's the beauty of, of that kind of environment is that, you know, they have a lot of control over where you go and what you do. And, you know, part of the, even in the 12-step environment, you know, it is the discipline of the program is what kind of moves you in a direction and it fills all that time so now that i am a person who's not drinking and drugging all the time i got a lot of time to fill and the whole 12-step environment gives you plenty of stuff to do every day in order to move you forward in your program and mm -hmm. so you know it's it's it makes sense there's no replacement for displacement mm -hmm. right so now i've displaced this this alcohol drug thing and here's all this activity i got to do to take up space in my life so I think yeah, because they could have kicked her out, but they didn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they gave her a second chance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did this affect your relationships? <sighs> Chaos. <laughs> yeah. Chaos. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I got jammed up in the Army before we met. I know. I mean, I wasted no time, Justin. Yeah. I got here and raised sheer D hell day one, you know, and... And I probably, let's see, I was probably coming up on a year of sobriety when we met. Mm -hmm. and, and I was coming up on five. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, like, up to that point, I mean, I, I consider myself a full addict. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that I have ever liked that I can do one of. Fact. Mm -hmm. Just not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna eat it till it's gone. I'm gonna drink it till it's gone. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of relationships, because I was drinking and because, you know, just, you know, just like the Catholic Church, stuff goes on in the Pentecostal Church mm -hmm. in relationship to the abuse of women and men but mm -hmm. mostly of women mm -hmm. and so i had suffered abuse mm -hmm. and i at the time i didn't really know that i was self-medicating mm -hmm. because i don't know there was really no one to talk to about it's just around now that people actually actually are like talking about it 
And so one of the things that I got involved in when I was quite early, quite young, before I was a teenager, I started having sex. Mm-hmm. Like we both it, did. We both did. Real like, early. Like in the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, like deacons, mm-hmm. you know, people doing things that they weren't supposed to be doing, but also because I had all that stuff in my system, I really cannot even consider myself sober. Mm-hmm. And so there was like a lot of chaos in my life that cultivate cult what's that word oh, i forgot that word senior mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. um that when it all comes together in into my getting involved in college with with a guy who beat the crap out of me mm-hmm. and um i was able to get away from him and was but I had to leave college for a year. I mean, it was it was big drama. I was perf- petrified of him. He was a stalker. Um, but we also drank a drank a lot, smoked a lot of weed, and by then I was also in the taken, you know, black beauties. Mm-hmm. And so there was that entire chaos that was directly related to me not being clear enough to even see what it is that I was getting involved with. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. all the red flags were there. I didn't see any of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, When my heart was beating and my arms, armpit was sweating, I thought, oh, this is love. (laughs) And now I'm like, my body was telling me to run. (laughs) It's fight or flight. (laughs) (laughs) This is like danger. And and so um, that's one of the things that led to like as a teenager. So my relationships were addictive. Um, I was obsessive about everything I, every single thing that I got involved in. Mm -hmm. And it was always just like more, more, more. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I'm doing more with food, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm always like working on it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, then I met Chantal's dad, and I was in college when I met when I met Tom, and being a hippie, he <laughs> was dropping acid. <laughs> you know, it's like I never thought about any of that stuff. He was dropping acid. He was smoking weed. You know, we were drinking, and. Um, it, it was a chaotic relationship. Mm-hmm. Just lots of like arguments and just drama. Just drama, drama, drama. <laughs> That's all we could say. Yeah. Uh, um, later on in life, I think I was maybe 30. I was 30 something. So I had Chantel and she was 30. When, when you, I was 30. Mm-hmm. I did, did no drugs or cigarettes or anything while I was pregnant or nursing. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. like stopped. So that was like three years of nothing. But as soon as she stopped, I was just like, as soon as yeah. she stopped the nursing. day off, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let me get back to living. Um, and within two years of that, um, Tom and I started, we started breaking up. Mm-hmm. But I was having an affair, mm-hmm. and um, that was kind of my pattern. That was all part of the needing that drama, needing that chaos, needing that excitement. And 
that was ultimately the reason it was because I had left Chantal. Like I laid in bed for eight months to have Chantal because I had had some miscarriages before. And I'd started working for my sister Grace in New York. I left Chantal at 18 months old, abandoned her mm -hmm. is, is the right word, went to New York to, um, and this is when I got introduced to cocaine, and went to New York to work with my sister, but it was pretty much freebasing all day every day, staying up three to five days in a row, you know, drinking, popping per um, purple passions, pop popping like halcyon to like get to sleep, and that was when I realized I left and went back to Syracuse to see my parents. I was there for 10 days and every single night I dreamt about freebasing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you got a problem. And that was the beginning. I was 30. I was 33 years old mm. and I'd been abusing drugs the whole time but I didn't know because I didn't know what normal drug use was I knew mm. that the stuff was illegal but I didn't really think or care about that at the time and uh, I tried to stop and I was just like wow you are like in deep trouble and you need help and I got into a counseling um, program at El Paso County and it was a counseling program for the family and it was its first year and um, I knew the person who ran it she came to my house she said I don't think you can quit this on your own I left New York which was a big deal because I had a lot of opportunity in the in the recording industry and had been offered jobs but there was no way I could stay there because I couldn't stay away from the stuff and I like left Chantel and that mess with my self-image and it was just, it was a gigantic mess. But I got into treatment. So unlike Juliet who went the 12-step route, mm -hmm. my route was actually addiction counseling. Mm -hmm. So until, so I've, I will be sober September 15th for 35 years, don't have no idea how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't even think it was possible to go three months, mm -hmm. you know. And um, my first 30 years was actually me working the program differently, like with, with a addiction counselor um, and then other techniques, yoga, meditation, and any of those things that give you a sense of well-being. And it wasn't until five years ago when a friend of mine came to town and she was really struggling with alcohol that I started going to AA. Mm -hmm. So AA is not the path for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can be sober without doing it. Definitely the support matters, but a lot of people um, have difficulty with the religious aspect of it mm -hmm. um, because it is truly like 
like Christian based. Mm -hmm. So if you're like Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, agnostic, whatever, sometimes people can have really struggle with that in terms of going there and getting help. Mm -hmm. True that. Yes, ma'am. You, it's your world, squirrel. I'm just in it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so one of the things that I realized um, was when I got sober, I was involved with someone who was not sober, and and that's just like a problem. It is. Yeah. Because and people even now say, well, you haven't had a drink for 35 years. Why can't you have a drink? Like. It's not going to stop at a drink. Uh, <laughs> a. <yeah. laughs> and B, it's going to pick up where it left off. Yeah. With yeah. all of the All habits, the drama. All yeah. of the negative habits. And, and also um, the pain that, that you leave in your wake as an addicted or, or let's say a problem use. Because addicted is such an intense word. I am very much into the philosophy of harm reduction, which is a part of substance abuse programs now, mm -hmm. which is where you don't tell the person who's been doing like all of this stuff, you know, well, you've been drinking, you know, a six pack a day, now I need for you to do none. How about we cut back to four? How about we now cut back to two? Mm -hmm. How, you know, how, how do mm -hmm. we make this like gradual, gradual change because doing that the reason people even come to think about it is because we're normally hurting other people along mm -hmm. with ourselves mm -hmm. and i call it the the pain in my wake that i left behind that i don't want to go back there mm -hmm. i don't want to be hurting people i don't want to be hurting my family i don't want to be lying i don't want to be cheating i don't want to you know be sneaking around like i can't tolerate i can't handle that anymore <laughs> you know yeah. And um, and I think that we then chose each other, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because one of the m main reasons for me mm -hmm. is that she's sober. Like mm -hmm. sober is still the number one thing yeah. mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. And that we, she, we then walked into this lifestyle mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Can you be codependent in sobriety? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Ain't no I mean, doubt. I, I think people think of codependence as, well, we need each other to do the harm that we're doing, right? Mm. I need, I, I need, like, I, I'm a drinker, so I need a drinker to justify what I'm doing. Sure, but, sure. You know, can you be codependent and you need each other's support to remain sober and, and, and maintain that sober lifestyle as well? I don't think I'd call that codependency. Codependency. Okay. I agree. Okay. Um, I call codependency when you can't you can't stand up for yourself in the relationship, okay. mm -hmm. and so and so you end up doing things that you actually don't don't feel good about to please the other person, okay. mm -hmm. and then that becomes more important than being honest and actually taking care of and advocating for okay. yourself. Mm -hmm. okay. But definitely, you can. It's like it's all tied together, mm -hmm. sure. You know, mm -hmm. and um, I think it's really, really difficult for one person to be having, and I'm going to call it problem drinking as opposed to addiction mm -hmm. or hazardous drinking, mm 
as opposed mm-hmm. to addiction and hazardous meaning and this is with any drug you are doing something that you are getting negative physical and health effects from mm-hmm. and you continue to do it mm-hmm. so that's more like the hazardous drinking and it and it's not where you know I'm doing so much of this, like I'm drinking the big bottle of vodka, I'm not showing up for work. That's like when you're at this place where you're sure. abusing your family, mm-hmm. abusing your kids, not showing up for work, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. That's mm-hmm. like a whole different level um, that needs an emergency intervention. Mm-hmm. But I think that it becomes like the family problem. Like when a kid is acting out, it's actually a family problem. We can definitely just point at the kid, you are the problem, blah, blah, blah. But if everyone there doesn't come together and change some of the underlying stuff that's going on, it's very hard for someone to decrease their drinking um, or stop their drinking if they're at that point where it's like an emergency. Mm-hmm. So the family kind of needs to come along for the ride. Everybody sure. got to play. Everybody yeah. has to play, dude, because mm-hmm. it's, you cannot, or should I say it is excruciatingly difficult to solve this thing by yourself living with other people. Mm-hmm. And most of us live with other people, to include your crews, mm-hmm. you know? So the crews got a vibe. They know something's up, you know? and. So everybody around you, everybody around me is affected by my behavior. So when I am feeling mad or if I get, you know, irritable, everybody around me knows it, you know. And so we all got to participate. And, you know, but, but that's okay. That's cool. I yeah. mean, we're together anyway. Why are we going, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. eat together. We sleep together. We do everything we do together. Mm-hmm. We got to do this together too, y'all. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Well, how, and, how important is it for someone who's recovering from addiction to have somebody to go to that's also a recovered addict? Because in the past conversations we've had, it's, it's easy for me who hasn't been an addict to go, why don't you just stop? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who's recovered from addiction can actually have sympathy for you and know has walked a mile in your shoes. How important is that to have that advocate or that person that you're going to go to uh, when not, times get tough? I'm not positive that that's as important as some people say. Mm-hmm. Um, because if any of us look at our lives it doesn't have to be a substance. Just think of anything that you wanted to quit that was hurting you and you couldn't quit. Mm-hmm. And that's all a human being needs to support another person. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I can't even think of an example mm-hmm. of something you couldn't quit exercising like a maniac right <laughs> right yeah yeah or mm-hmm. being sedentary right yeah mm-hmm. and you can't get up to go exercise mm-hmm. yeah no matter how much you want to it's just not happening mm-hmm. that is what addiction is mm-hmm. and so in that sense more people yeah there's a bigger stigma when it's alcohol and drugs but if everyone looks at their life of things they have tried to stop doing 
eating gummy beers. Hey, hey, hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 Easy on the gummy candy. bears. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm that way too. I'm that way too. Um, anything. Mm -hmm. Stop or start a thing. Yep. Stop or start. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know? Mm hmm. Addicted to things that cause adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Addicted to always working and not having enough time for your family. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's the human condition. If people really look at themselves, mm -hmm. they will find that they, they are powerless over certain things in their life. Mm -hmm. And that's what addiction is. Yeah, it's easier if the person has done that journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For them to understand where you are with less judgment, mm -hmm. you know. But um, I mean, if you can find that, great. But if not, you got to go with whatever it is that you're there. Yeah. That that is there. And my experience is that you definitely that you definitely need some kind of help. Mm -hmm. yeah. I I will say though that the value of having somebody in your life um, who is also, you know, quote unquote, in a, in a, an addictive relationship with something. They can call you on, I'm about to cuss, they can call you on your shit mm -hmm. because, you know, alcoholics and addicts, we lie. We are so full of shit. We manipulate. We do all kind of crazy shit to our family and our friends, and we're really good at it. And so we get sober, and sometimes that behavior doesn't change. Right. And the person that can call you out on that, is somebody else who's doing it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for those of us out there who are, well, you know, I didn't actually do that. I did that. No, you're full of shit. You did it and stop. Mm -hmm. I'm the person that can do that because I'm the person who did it as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that has a lot of value, particu particularly when it comes to public safety folk, you know, because we have a whole nother level of intensity and risk taking behavior. And we're a whole different kind of person than Joe Sixpack on the street when it comes to stuff like that. And we get a lot of, for lack of a better word, coochie coupons for wearing this T-shirt and wearing this uniform. And people see us coming and they want to smile and shake hands and kiss babies. And we can be doing some nefarious type of stuff. And we can get away with some nefarious type of stuff. And I see you mm -hmm. as, an, as an addict and as a person who did the exact same thing. I see you lying. I see you manipulating. You are not getting away with this. And if you don't get it together you're going to lose your job. Or if you don't get it together, things are going to get worse. It's, I think it's really important for that call-out person to be in your life. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're smooth operators, dude. We, you know, as, as they say, <laughs> y'all know how I say this, but something ain't easy and something is hard, right? Mm -hmm. We need, I need that person in my life to go, Juliet, you are so full of that is not true That's me. that would be her majesty <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know but a lot of we're good politicians we're good marketers we market ourselves really really well particularly on the individual basis and you know it's i think it's really important for us to have somebody that can say, mm, well, maybe not. Mm, yeah, that's a pile of poo, and mm, I smell it, and mm, it stinks, and you ain't getting away with nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think I think it's also important too, as for the person to allow someone to call them on what they see. Fact. 
I think that that is the part that is the important part of knowing somebody or being or reaching out to somebody that has walked in that shoe, and that is difficult. Nobody wants to hear that they're being an. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear that they're full of. Shit. Nobody wants to hear that. However, self awareness is really, 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 really important, and. If if I can't see myself, then there's somebody over here who's done what I did who can see me. And so now they can go, hey, look at yourself, Chuckles. That mm-hmm. ain't what you're doing, you know. And so that can keep me moving in a direction. But we also tend to be very defensive. We do. We do. And, oh, yeah, that was what I was going to say that mm-hmm. I, that I um, learned from her is that if someone's saying something to you like, you're not going to be able to deal with this on your own because someone actually said that to me mm-hmm. and and I felt like I was someone who could do whatever and she was in charge of that program at, at El Paso County mm-hmm. the family program and she came over to my house and she said you are not going to be able to get off cocaine on your own and then she explained all the reasons why and this was the science of like 1987 i had to be willing to hear that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the other thing you know that that i also learned from her if people are even commenting on your drinking it's a problem there's a problem fact Mm -hmm. if you are out and you're commenting to yourself like should i have another one that's a problem. <laughs> like, why are you having that conversation? Yeah. The answer is no. Go home. <laughs> we, 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 know some, we know some, like, normal drinkers. And and people are very respectful of Juliet and I. Mm-hmm. Because if not, we leave their life. Mm-hmm. So, you mm-hmm. know, make a choice. Yeah. And the liquor lobby, which I have to talk about, <laughs> is as bad as the cigarette lobby was. Fact. And they are so powerful that whenever any kind of science comes out and says no amount of alcohol is actually good for you, the next day on mainstream media, which I also call corporate media, you're going to hear, well, a glass of wine keeps you from having a heart attack. Or, I mean, they always come out with something else. Mm-hmm. So Canada, a couple weeks ago, was the first country who has come out and said, evidence shows there is no amount of alcohol that is actually good for you. So from that point of view, we could go, okay, we haven't said that in America, but we have a recommendation, which is no more than two for a man, no more than one for a woman. Women have an en- do not have an enzyme that digests alcohol. So alcohol starts its poison all the way down. It seeps in to into all of your articles, uh, articles, <laughs> art, arteries, mm-hmm. and then it crosses the blood-brain barrier. Mm-hmm. Secondly, most of the time people drink to feel uplifted. The uplifted lasts maybe 15, 20 minutes, and then it becomes a depression. Mm-hmm. So depressed people drink something that is a depressant (laughs) to make themselves feel better. Mm -hmm. Kind of illogical, but a lot of our society is is based on that. And what I encourage in terms of 
reducing the harm to yourself um, because there's the cirrhosis of the liver. Actually, oh, oh, I see some paperwork coming out. I have, oh. I have the <laughs> list. <laughs> it's a huge list. I would love to provide you guys with the list because uh, it is so huge. Mm -hmm. Memory loss, unpaid, unpaid bills, affairs. Hardly anyone gets into an affair. Sober. Sober. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In their right mind. Yeah. Doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. A lot more family arguments. Mm -hmm. Then there's, of course, the traffic tickets and the possible DUI, more emotional arguments after you've had a drink. One of the things I learned from, from my um, addiction counselor was do not have a serious conversation in your family or with anyone if you have had even one drink. You need to have those conversations sober because it blows up everything mm -hmm. emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, just a lot. I will, I will like <laughs> send this out, including uh, sleeplessness. Mm -hmm. Like people start, they drink, they go to sleep, but they can't stay asleep. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just like, it's a huge list and it's also progressive. Mm -hmm. So hardly anyone will, you know, at 18 I was drinking one. If you have continued to drink, chances are you're not drinking one anymore. Mm -hmm. um, it takes more every time. Yeah, Over it time. takes more and more. Mm -hmm. And then it stays in your system. And it just, it causes a lot of trouble, but we're not gonna get the, we're not gonna get the information mm -hmm. because the lobby, lobby is just too powerful for that. Yeah. Let's talk about recovery. Yay! Like your, your journeys were very different. They are. So. They are. Uh, well, I don't know. I think recovery is different for a lot of people. And I think there's more than one way to skin a cat. I did not think that initially because my introduction to sobriety and recovery was firmly 12-step based. And, you know, so I kind of have a bias in that direction. However, you know, having known Her Majesty, I, we'll be together 31 years here in a couple yep, weeks. 31 years. She's still putting up with my shenanigans. Mm -hmm. But um, no, having known her and her journey and how different it is from mine, I can see that, you know, everybody doesn't have to go this way. And there are a bunch of ways. And it doesn't really matter which way as long as you moving in a way. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And no judgment for me. I mean, I don't care. Call me. Just say, hey, Juliet, I just heard the podcast, man, I'm struggling. Well, hell, let me, let me, let's chat, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, just, just do something different. I mean, if we are going to, what what's that saying? If I keep doing the same stuff I did, I'm going to keep getting the stuff I always got. Right. Mm -hmm. So in order for me to get something different, I got to do something different. And if that is cutting my consumption in half, let's start there. That's all I'm saying. Just do something and mm -hmm. move in a direction and, you know, and don't quit. Don't quit till it's, you know, till the end, you know, and it ain't over. Keep and going. if you fall off, you know, like anything else, you can, you can get back on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I have pretty rigid rules. Mm -hmm. No one brings alcohol to our house and we don't, alcohol or actually any other, any other <laughs> drugs. And... If someone shows up and they bring it, we tell them they got to put it back in the car. Mm -hmm. And um, we have substance-free 
events. At our house. Mm-hmm. At our so house. if you come to a barbecue at our house, ain't going to be no beer. Right. You know, you can still come. You'll still have a good time. But right. <laughs> ain't going to be no beer. You yeah. Know? And so, and for some people, that's a challenge, you know, for, for CSFD. You know, we need an event where there is no alcohol, period. Mm-hmm. And it could be the summer picnic. It could be, I don't care what it is. But, and, you know, in order to support those folks out there who are struggling, it'd be nice to have an event where there's no booze. Mm-hmm. The memorial. Let's talk about the memorial and how much alcohol and drama goes on there. We need to have a space available during the memorial where there is no booze for people who, because I cannot imagine managing grief, which is what the memorial is about, is bringing closure to people who have had grief in the past year, Mm -hmm. right? And now I'm trying to stay sober and the environment being what it is, there's no place for me to go except back to my hotel room by myself. And there's embarrassment too. True like that. When, when you decide to stop doing it, I did lose, I did lose a bunch of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of this attitude like if I'm not drinking, then I'm judging you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go to parties where people are drinking and I thank my friends for not inviting me. Mm -hmm. Um, We tend to see people like friends in the morning um, and then they pop out, let's have a mimosa. (laughs) 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 I'm like, I don't even know what a mimosa is. It's like a a morning drink, you know, but we're pretty, we're pretty rigid where that's concerned and we feel um, I know that I feel that if you love me, you will understand. If you truly like me, you will understand that nobody gives up something for 35-year-old unless it's like a real a bad, problem. Yes, yeah. fact. You know? fact. So please, please support me. And if not for that two-hour period, you're like choosing this thing above me. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel loved anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah, there Pack you it. have it. But being <laughs> sober, I think you have to be—you have to just be conscious every day. It is still the most important thing in my life because of the pain I cause. Because my daughter still isn't over it. No, mm-hmm. she ain't. You know, I went in and completely impacted her life and her sense of security by disappearing. Mm-hmm. And so, it's the most important thing to me, so that I can be there for my family mm-hmm. and live in and also live in peace mm-hmm. um and so you know i just get up and do it every day i mean i don't think it's gonna like happen tomorrow where i grab something but i'm not gonna take the chance yeah. i was over i was at the aa meeting getting my 31 year chip mm-hmm. and there was a woman there she was sober for 30 years and she went to see her parents. Mm-hmm. It was like the middle of the night. They, she just opened the refrigerator. There was booze. Mm-hmm. She picked it up, drank the whole thing, mm-hmm. and went off on a five years of drinking. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, yeah, that's scary. a little yeah. scary to yeah, me, yeah. like it could like like a gremlin. Yeah. <laughs> but she was probably uh, swimming in triggers, I would imagine. Yeah. Probably, you know, she probably didn't want to go see the fam and there's a lot of drama in the fam and, you know, and people, we do things, we manage ourselves 
with the beverages, you know. Mm-hmm. I see my family for three or four days max, then I'm done, bro. Mm-hmm. I, I love them to death, but I love them in Cleveland. Yeah. Lord have mercy, yeah. you know. And, and you can get cocky after being so, sober fact. for a long time. Fact. Yeah. You know, and, fact. and people, you know, they'll, like, offer you beer. You'll, you'll, like, go to their house if you decide to go to that party, which I've just finally stopped. It's like... Okay, would you like a beer? No. Would you like a glass of wine? No. Um, would you like a mixed drink? Yeah. We got oh, white claws. Yeah. No. Just right. still go down the list. Still. Yeah. They still go all the way down yeah. the list. And then I finally have to say I'm sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and for a lot of people, that's embarrassing. Yeah. And it's because hard. it's Because it's a weakness. You're saying, oh, I'm weak. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How have you reconciled your relationships that were damaged during, like you've talked about, you know, you talk a lot about your dad. Mm-hmm. I really want to meet your dad because he sounds like a great He's guy. He's something else, dude. He's you know, something you, I, you talk about your daughter, mm-hmm. but you also talk about your sister. Mm-hmm. You know, so how have you reconciled those relationships over time? Well, my sister is an active user. Mm-hmm. And I think all of my siblings except one is active users Mm -hmm. um my grandfather died young from alcoholism so for us it's transgenerational Mm -hmm. um it comes with like other gifts so i'm not going to be like we're like all screwed because some of us are like intellectually gifted or we're you know very creative or Mm -hmm. stuff like that but it seems to run through our family um, I don't speak to any of my siblings, and I'm not hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Because more than anyone else, they disrespect my sobriety. Mm-hmm. They would be the person who would be like, well, I'm having a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. You know, like, sure, I'm not going to yeah. ask you. It's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Um, with Chantel, you know, it was tough. I was training 2010-11 to be a certified addiction counselor. And I'd be like up in Denver, like taking this class and then recognizing the stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like in my car crying at lunchtime mm-hmm. on the phone and calling her and apologizing mm-hmm. for like the hundredth time. Like I will apologize a thousand times every time it comes up for that person. And we see the connection. Mm-hmm. I just go, I was really messed up. I am really, really sorry. With no defense, no mm-hmm. like, I've apologized a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Nothing like that. Right. Just defenseless apology. Mm-hmm. And not pointing out what they did. Yep. Because you know, mm-hmm. other people do stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, this is what I did. I was really messed up. I'm really sorry. I see how it's affecting you. And mm-hmm. like with my daughter, I'll be like, I'll pay for the therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what we've done. Right, yeah. right. And and that's all you can do. Same thing with Same her. thing with me, my dad and my sister. And, you know, my sister tells a story about one time my dad and I ended up fighting. And, you know, and I have no memory of this. I was in a complete alcoholic blackout. And... Um, you knocked over his chair. Yeah, punched him out of his chair, and bless his heart, he didn't he didn't do anything. He just left the room, and I left the house, and I to this day I have no memory of that. Yeah. 
and and I was that kind of you know person blackout. <laughs> blackout. I I I'm so glad that I don't have my wanted poster at the post office right now. Mm-hmm. You know, but. Um, and my sister mentioned it and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. She was like, girl, you, and my sister is very urban. Girl, you know, daddy, and you punched him and he fell, but he just left the room and then you just left the house. And I'm like, oh my God. So I went to my dad and I'm like, daddy, I am so sorry. I've, I complete. I have no memory of that. I am so sorry. And he was like, well, you was on that stuff back then. <laughs> that was his, that was his response, you know? And, you know, but that's all I can do is apologize. Dude, that is my bad. I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? Well, you know you was on that stuff, so you know that's make you kind of crazy. So, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. And to this day, you know, it's like, man, that was that was messed up. That's on me. That's my bad. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that was back then. That's, you know, that's mm-hmm. always his answer. Yep. You and know? then 31 years later with you, because mm-hmm. we're so close to Chantal's dad, mm-hmm. um, it comes up for him. Right. Some of the stuff I did. Right. And I've been with her for 31 years. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And same thing. Apology. Yep. Heartfelt apology. Yep. I am so no sorry. No denial, no nothing, mm-hmm. because he wouldn't be mentioning it if it wasn't still hurting, mm-hmm. is how I look at mm-hmm. it. And I know that a lot of people get defensive, but it doesn't help. No. Is that a part that. of recovery, owning that? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Or, you know, for example, the things that we run into or I'll run into when I'm, you know, counseling someone on their their um, misuse of alcohol and drugs, and they'll be like, well, I've been sober for eight months, and my family still doesn't want me in the house. I'm like, you stole your grandmother's wedding ring, and like, you've been doing what you've been doing for five years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? All of a sudden, You've changed your behavior this much, and everybody else is supposed to jump on board. Doesn't work like that. Mm-mm. Yeah. You have you do have to prove yourself over time. Regain that trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and if not, if you keep that resentment, that will lead you to relapse. Mm-hmm. You need to understand exactly what it is that you did. Own it. Embrace it and apologize as many times as you need to apologize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's been the key for me and yep. it's worked. Mm-hmm. Everything I did was my fault. Mm-hmm. Everything I did, I did. And that's all me, fam. That's my bad. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Because if I don't acknowledge it, if I don't acknowledge my part, how can I fix it? Because everybody else's part is their part. I can't fix their part. I can only fix my part. Yeah, And so... You know, it's that that part is really important. Yeah, and it's the making amends. It's like without amends, you don't really understand that the person is not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. when you make that amends, you're saying this is what I did, and spell that stuff out, mm-hmm. even although it feels bad, and I'm I'm not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they have a choice to let you back into their life or not, Mm -hmm. that is their choice. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do it. It has a lot to do with the degree of their pain, Mm -hmm. but also they're more injured if you're defensive and if you don't understand the pain that you caused with everyone. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. What are some resources out there? Where can people go? You know, there's. you can call me. You can text me. 719-217-9986. That's my cell phone. Um, and, of course, the 12-step meetings, you know, um, they they do help. I mean, mm-hmm. and if, if, if nothing else, if when I was homeless with a bus ticket and an AA meeting, you know, and in a backpack, I went to an, a meeting, and from that moment on, I got into a shelter. And the next day, I got into an in-house rehab. And the mm-hmm. next day, I got, you know, it's just so go to a meeting, call somebody. And um, the county, I think, is really good. But, and it's, a lot of us feel like we're better than that. And that is horrible. Let me say that right now. You can go to any 12-step meeting and walk in the door. My name is so-and-so, and I'm having a tough time. Can somebody help me? Mm-hmm. Please do it. You know, we, we do have to gain some humility in that way. You know, I know you got, you know, 50 acres backed up to BLM and 40 head of cattle and a $100,000 pickup truck. That's great, but you can't put the bottle down. So go to the meeting, raise your hand, and get some help. And the second part of going to the meetings is that the community in terms of class mm-hmm. you're going to run into the people from the Broadmoor all the way down to the people that's homeless. Fact. That's one of the things that I love about it mm-hmm. because we're all here having this this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not you're not a low life, you're not, you know, there's no judgment in that room which mm-hmm. is also the other thing, you can pretty much say anything, and everybody has heard it already mm-hmm. because we all are going down that road. Mm-hmm. And and I think the other part, you know, for a lot of people, the the focus on on God is a big problem that keeps them from doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a problem with it. It just like. It like is what it is mm-hmm. and I just think that when you're ready you can't let anything stop you fact from going to get the support that you need to meeting people who are who are committed to at least harm reduction mm-hmm. in terms of their their intake intake I'm a certified a counselor I'm a certified addition counselor to the third degree, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which means I can actually train other people, and I can also supervise other other mm-hmm. people who are like ones and twos. Um, I don't work very much. I'm hardly working at all. Mm. But there are a bunch of them around town. Mm-hmm. Um, Peer support works. Yeah, I know some people who are getting help through their church like First Presbyterian or whatever and if your church doesn't have a group maybe you could think about starting a group I mm-hmm. mean that's definitely something that you can do because group support is really nice um, if it's severe like you're getting into legal trouble um, you know your marriage your relationship with your kids is just like constant chaos because the truth is you can live in peace and maybe have an argument like once a year, mm-hmm. <laughs> like one. We don't even know what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, if it's that severe, your job is in trouble or whatever. Um, 
I like the idea of impatient if it's if it's affordable for anyone, mm -hmm. like just 30 days away doing the program every single day and then coming back to your life. Aspen. Aspen Point? Yeah, Aspen mm -hmm. Point. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of services. The biggest thing is that they practically have 24-hour meetings. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you can go to as many as you want. She used to go to three a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some people are at the meeting the entire day, mm -hmm. you know, so it's for your day off, just go so you're not, like, on your own with your demons. Mm -hmm. I, what else can I think of? Well, we I know in our... Um we have peer support here at CSFD, mm -hmm. and other organizations have peer support as well. Um, we have, I'm trying to think, um, employee, our employee yes, EAP, EAP yep. is yep. effective, and they have a ton of resources, you know, as far as whatever your situation is, you know, and it may not be in that office necessarily, but they can, they can move you in a direction um, whatever that direction needs to be. Sure. And those folks are certified and verified and you know, mm -hmm. and, and that is always helpful. And it's not a weakness. Getting help is, is actually one of the strongest things a person can do mm -hmm. is going, oh, this is bad. You know, yeah, yeah. This is bad. <laughs> I need to do something. Let yeah. me not crash my whole life. Mm -hmm. what, do you, mm -hmm. what do you tell the person that relapses? Shake it off, let's go, Start let's over. get back in it. Let's get back in she it. She relapsed. Yep, I've relapsed. I'm coming up on another anniversary here in another month or so, mm -hmm. you know, and I've had this same amount of time. This is the second time I've had this mm -hmm. amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, so jump back in. And it's embarrassing. You hate to come back to the meeting and go, well, guys, you know, I, I didn't do it, mm -hmm. you know. However, you know, you got I. They, they say, you know, keep coming back. Just keep coming mm -hmm. back. Just keep coming back. And I always equate it to for us this job because some of us on this job traveled across the globe from other countries and took all kind of classes and bent over backwards to get here and that is a, sometimes you need mm -hmm. that level of herculean effort right to maintain your sobriety so that you can keep this job you traveled across the world to get you know, it's like those things that we say in interview, you know, I'm willing to do anything. Just give me a chance, coach. Right. Well, for the rest of your life, for your longevity, for your humanity, for yourself as a human being, for your family, for your children, mm -hmm. you, the effort needs to be the same. And for a lot of people, that's real difficult mm -hmm. because it makes sense that, you know, I want to grow up to be a fireman and a policeman and a soldier. Right. And. The world supports us in that. Our families support us in that. Joe Sixpack on the Corner supports you in that. But, and it's different when you say, well, I just need to stop. I just need to stop drinking, dude. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people don't want to say that. Okay, well, you have two choices. You either do or you do not. I'm not going to go Yoda on you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. truthfully, you know, there, there's, there's, two, there's two options. Either it is or it ain't. And... Even if it is, there are other, there's ways to get there. You don't have to go there one way. You just got to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Mm -hmm. And it being entrenched so much in our society. Mm -hmm. And now that's happening with marijuana. Mm -hmm. 
you know, which for me, it's like a bummer. I've done a lot of work with adolescents who use drugs. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of bummed about that whole thing because now they're using three times the amount that they did before it was legal. Mm -hmm. um, it's completely entrenched. So it's abnormal to be the person to not accept the drink mm -hmm. or to have people like just hand you stuff you feel like a freak, mm -hmm. you know, like what's wrong with me? Like all of these people, they're drinking normally. They're not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So for me, like for anyone listening, for me, let's just try to bring it back to what the AMA, the NIH, WHO, the World, World Health, Health Organization, mm -hmm. Has recommended, right? Mm -hmm. Two, no more than two drinks for men, no more than one drink for women. Let's just do that. Let's work on Start that. There. Let's yeah. go yeah. there. Yep. And mm -hmm. if you find that you can't do it, or in my case, when I agreed to do it with my addiction counselor, um, to have no more than two glasses of wine, my glass grew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I feel that <laughs> twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but if we can reel it into what's considered less harmful, mm -hmm. I think that really is a place to start. And then if you find that you cannot do it, then it means you're having a problem. Doesn't mean you're a full blown alcoholic who's about to, you know, go off the deep end. But it means that you're having a problem and it's gonna affect your health and it's gonna affect your family life, it's gonna affect your kids. Mm -hmm. Decide how important all of that is to you. Sure. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, 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 said. About it. well said, Her Majesty. Well said. Uh, well said, Your Majesty. <laughs> well, thank you both for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having appreciate us. Appreciate your time. Yay. Thank you. Appreciate your uh, openness. Um, oh yeah sure. you know, I know you were a little nervous coming on I, hope, <laughs> I, I was hope, I hope that, but I hope that went away pretty quick <laughs> you're like super good see so you this get into the game you're like into it <laughs> you're nervous before the game and as soon as you get yep. into it you forget it's, it's kind of exactly, yeah. exactly so anything else that you'd like to add that I'm forgetting uh, are you thinking of anything I can't think of anything text Juliet yep call me text yeah. me if things if things are out of hand, she'll pass me on a message. Mm -hmm. I have phonophobia, but it doesn't mean that I won't respond. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, yeah. All good. it's just me being stubborn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is I'd what it is. Much rather communicate in person. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we love you guys. Yeah, we do. We want you know? the best for everybody, dude. We yep. want everybody to be happy and fulfilled, and move on, and enjoy your retirement, and you know. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Let's have some fun. Yeah, you know? and you've given us a great life. Yep. The more love, more acceptance mm -hmm. than we could possibly have imagined. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we love you too. Thank you. Thanks for everything that you do. Absolutely. It's a, it's a joy to see you. Thanks mm -hmm. for, you know, it's been a while. It's probably uh, been, a, <laughs> been a while. It's been a few years. A couple of years. Has. Yeah, mm -hmm. but not, not too long. I'm it's a always recluse. great to see you. So. <laughs> Definitely a recluse. Thanks. All right, we're going to get you out the house. All right. All Thanks, right. guys. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers.